hello, beautiful nerds. It's Roman Mars. It's been just over a week in the Radiotopia Forever campaign, and we smashed through the first Slack challenge. Over 5,000 people donated before the Monday deadline, so we got the extra $25,000. That went so well that Slack came back to challenge us again, and if I can convince 10,000 more of you that the journalism and storytelling produced by us here at 99PI and Radiotopia is worth your support at any level, Slack will donate an additional $50,000. That's a total of $75,000 from Slack if we all get together, pledge whatever we can to create the media that we deserve at radiotopia.fm. So over 5,000 people picked up the 99PI Challenge Coin in particular, and that makes me so happy. Since this fund drive is the only time most people will be able to get one, I really want to see at least 10,000 of them out in the world with people coin-checking each other left and right. I have the only sample coin in existence. That's it. And I've been carrying it around in that little uh, front, you know, jeans pocket that's inside the other pocket. And I have to say, it feels great. You can get your own constant reminder of your beautiful nerddom in coin form at radiotopia.fm. I would love more than anything to report back to you on the next episode that we got the final Slack challenge and 50000 more dollars. So while you're listening to this, pledge what you feel, whatever you feel, at radiotopia.fm and we'll hit that goal and I'll bring back great news next week and we'll all celebrate together. All right. Thanks. This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. A few years ago, Anastasia Marks del Salcedo was making lunch for her kids. And so, like most moms, I do a lot of lunches. And when I do that, I usually try and find a balance between healthy and not so healthy. On the not quite so healthy side, she might pack some cheesy crackers. And on the healthy side, she'd make her kids a sandwich. Or at least she thought the sandwiches that she was making were healthy, until she looked closely at the ingredients. I realized that I'd pulled the packaged deli meat out of my fridge, that the bread came from my bread box, and I'd been sitting there for a while, and I'd been sitting in the supermarket, and then it had been manufactured way back when. And Anastasia got to thinking, it is kind of unnatural for food to last this long. Is this really a healthy lunch? That's Tina Antolini, host of the podcast Gravy, helping us tell the story. Anastasia looked at the packaged deli meat, the store-bought sliced bread, the processed cheese. As it happens, she's a journalist. She writes a lot about food. And so she started looking into it. I went through all of those ingredients that you just listed, including the the, uh, mustard (laughs) and the mayonnaise. And at least two of the items, the packaged deli meat and the supermarket bread, took her research ultimately to this obscure U.S. Army base, the Natick Soldier Systems Center. This is very strange. What is the Army doing in, in food? What the Army is doing in food is, of course, feeding the troops. And by strange extension, you and me. Military organizations have actually been involved in food production ever since the earliest combat rations. The first combat rations were probably eaten by the Sumerians. They did carry with them into battle barley cakes, beer, and green onions. Back in the early days of organized warfare, if you were marching into battle and didn't know when you'd get home again, you needed to bring something that would keep. All of these rations were based on uh, traditional methods of preserving food, drying, salting, uh, smoking, and pickling. But the real innovation was coming up with a preserved protein. Ancient Egyptians went to war carrying dried fish with them. 
And in the 11th and 12th centuries, the Mongols preserved their meat by storing it under their saddles. And the salt from the horse would enter the meat and the, the pressure of the rider's weight would push the meat down and that would actually create this preserved meat. So that, that, that's kind of... Salted by horse sweat and compressed by your butt on the saddle? <laughs> Correct. Mongolian methods aside, for some 2,000 years, military food rations pretty much stayed the same. Flour, beans, a hunk of salted meat, and some hardtack, a kind of twice-baked biscuit. Or, in the case of Napoleon's army, soldiers would just go plunder the countryside and eat whatever they found, which became a problem when soldiers went MIA trying to get food when there was a battle to fight. And so, in 1795, the French government and the Agriculture Department decided they needed a new way to preserve food for the troops. They announced a contest, 12,000 francs to anyone who could come up with a new method. A man named Nicolas Appert responded. He was, at the time, the celebrity chef. He cooked for kings and queens. And Appert found a way to cook and preserve food using glass and metal containers. This is canning, and it revolutionized the world. This was the first time that a military had taken on a big problem in food technology and solved it. And militaries would continue to innovate around food for soldiers and sailors. Fast forward to World War II in the United States. During World War II, the country had to ramp up from feeding 400,000 soldiers to ultimately 11.6 million. American troops had packs of mead and cheese and crackers, as well as canned goods, of course. But these rations didn't survive the rigors of war too well. And they really hadn't been sufficient to feed so many soldiers in so many different locations, in so many different climates and conditions. The military had been unprepared to feed their soldiers during World War II. The government said, well, you know what? We don't ever want to have to go through this again. It was just horrible to have to ramp up. So let's maintain ourselves in a state of preparedness. And so preparedness became policy after World War II. To support that, they created a system of 700 federal laboratories, all devoted to developing military technologies. And one of them is the Natick Soldier System Center outside of Boston. So this looks pretty much like suburbia, with the exception of the intense electric fence. Except for that barbed wire fence and the guard posted at the gate, the Natick Soldier System Center looks like a normal office park. But this office park is the epicenter of the modern military diet. It is the home of the Combat Feeding Directorate, which has been here since the 1950s. First of all, can I have you introduce yourself to Absolutely. me, Steve? Absolutely. I'm Stephen Moody, the Director of Combat Feeding uh, here at the Natick Soldier Research Development and Engineering Center. Stephen showed me how military food technology has evolved over time. Cans, for instance, have since been replaced by flexible lined pouches because cans are bulky and heavy. And since the 1980s, troops have been eating their meals out of those pouches in what are called MREs, meals ready to eat. The first MRE contained a lot of freeze-dried uh, components, a freeze-dried meat patty that you would have to add water to and then heat it. And uh, having, having eaten a few of those in my time as an active duty soldier, it, you had to get it just right. It was always either a little bit too soggy or a little bit crunchy at the end of the day. Ever since World War II, the Combat Feeding Directorate has been tasked with overcoming certain challenges inherent in food. It spoils. It grows mold. It loses flavor. 
And if you're trying to feed a vast number of people in climates ranging from the desert to the humid jungle over long periods of time, you have to figure out ways of making food that will avoid its natural tendency to go bad. So the Combat Feeding Directorate has whole teams of microbiologists, engineers, and other scientists working to extend the lives of foods. Food engineering, preservation, and stabilization, for instance, would be the ones that uh, would, would try to figure out how to make that product shelf-stable for two, three, five years. Five years. Uh, with, without refrigeration, exactly. And then there's the little detail of taste, making this stuff actually palatable. The modern MRE has come a long way from that chewy, freeze-dried meat patty. Today's high-tech pouches come with another pouch that chemically heats the ration. The U.S. military now offers 24 different entrees, from cheese tortellini to lemon pepper tuna to jambalaya. On the jambalaya, for instance, trying to make sure that jambalaya would, would last for three years at 80 degrees in a pouch is a challenge. So we, we tweak the spices, we tweak the ingredients so that we can make sure that the flavor is optimal at the end of the shelf life as well as the beginning. So that soldier on a mountain in Afghanistan can enjoy a flexible pouch of three-year-old jambalaya. I mean, that's the goal. But it's not always the reality when you open an MRE. So it was uh, just like this gelatinous barbecue beef that had this pungent smell to it. Louisiana native Ben Armstrong spent five years in the Marine Corps. Don't even get him started on the Jambalaya MRE. For a Louisianan... Well, it's just sacrilege. I would never try it. And so the military isn't just working on MREs. They're also trying to develop foods that look and taste more like, you know, what you'd eat at 3 a.m. You're like really, really hungry and your judgment is somewhat impaired. We actually took something like a Hot Pocket that you'd find in the the freezer at the grocery store and made one that was shelf stable. And we did that by controlling the water activity and the, the pH of the different components within the product so that they wouldn't allow bacteria to grow. They packaged it up with something called an oxygen scavenger a little packet of iron filings that absorbs oxygen, keeping it away from the bread. So mold wouldn't grow on the bread. And we we designed hurdles to each step within the process that might allow spoilage to the point where we now have a sandwich that will last for three years at room temperature. And this leads us to the holy grail of military food science, an item that soldiers have been requesting since time immemorial, pizza. Pizza that is shelf-stable for three years. This is our pilot plant. Stephen took me inside a massive industrial kitchen full of giant kettles, mixers, ovens. I see a worker in a lab coat and hairnet standing over an enormous pot, stirring vigorously. What, what's Hi. cooking? Hi, making some pizza sauce. In another corner of the pilot plant, a different worker is slicing up a pizza topping that, at first, I thought I misheard. Did you call this Osmoroni? You call it Osmoroni. Osmoroni. Osmoroni, or osmotic pepperoni, looks like a roll of toilet paper made of meat. A thin sheet of beef rolled up with a layer of plastic to prevent it from sticking to itself. It's preserved using osmotic dehydration. The technology basically involves running thin sheets of meat through a special water bath that removes water from the meat itself, preserving it. I tasted it. I, I probably, if somebody had just served me that, I would not have even questioned what it was. No, no, you wouldn't. I mean, it's, it tastes like pepperoni. I would probably increase the amount of pepperoni flavor, but those are some of the things that we're working on. 
The Army is aiming to have shelf-stable pizza in combat zones by 2017, and maybe soon after that, in your local grocery store. This is another part of the Combat Feeding Directorate, ever since its origins after World War II. When the military decided it needed to create a backup plan to feed troops in the event of a sudden war. And so the U.S. government made it a requirement for these labs to share their findings with the commercial sector. What we try to do when we come up with a new technology is make sure that it's not military specific so that there are commercial applications for it. And and that can only help us with economies of scale. If something is military unique and it's only produced for the U.S. military, the costs are going to be a lot higher than if it's produced for the commercial sector as well. And it's not just costs. If there's ever a large demand for these combat rations, like in a time of war, It's good for the military if there are companies out there that already have the technology to make these kinds of products. And of course, if the private sector has these technologies, they'll use them. On us. This means there's evidence of the Army's influence all over the grocery aisles. For example, your children can thank the armed services for their favorite food. Mac and cheese. Cheese powder in the mac and cheese, and then you'd have it also in any cheesy snack foods that might be around. Anastasia Marx de Salcedo took all of her research, starting with her children's lunch, and wrote a book called Combat Ready Kitchen, How the U.S. Military Shapes the Way You Eat. So at this point, she can walk into a grocery store and point out all the foods that have the military's fingerprints on them, which is exactly what she did with me. We've got some TV dinners. Turkey tetrazzini and meatloaf and gravy and turkey pot pie. The TV dinner, the frozen entree, was developed by an army contractor to feed bomber troops on overseas flights. And this prompted the military to come up with what became the microwave. Yes, the microwave is a military innovation. The military also developed freeze-drying technology, so instant coffee, teas, soups. The army also hit upon a game-changer, what they call intermediate moisture foods. Foods that are moist and also bacteria-resistant. You see this in energy bars, pillowy sliced bread, and packaged cookies. One thing that cookie makers did is once they understood this scientifically, they started making the soft and chewy cookies. In the olden days, supermarket cookies would be crisp. As we go through the grocery store, Anastasia stops and squeezes packages. She gets excited about a package of Thai basil and sweet chili stir-fry sauce. Okay, the reason (laughs) I feel it up is that to feel the packaging. This is a retort pouch, um, which was developed by the Natick Center. Those flexible pouches are the same packaging from the MREs, but now it's for squeezy applesauce and yogurts tuna and sauce packets. It it could start to be a little bit haunting as you go grocery shopping. (laughs) The military everywhere. (laughs) I started to feel like I was walking around looking at ghosts of combat rations. I I think about it when when I'm with my kids because they do seem to prefer those foods. (laughs) It's not just Anastasia's kids. These food products are beloved and ubiquitous, from Cheetos to chewy granola bars, Military innovations have a tendency to get worked into our diets, and most people don't stop to question how a packaged cookie can remain soft for eternity. And I think most consumers, we say, hey, it comes in a package, the company um, says it's okay, I'm not going to worry about it, and we go for that. Anastasia says it's unclear how or if these food preservation techniques are affecting our health. There are a lot of ways that the military has changed the chemistry of different foods, and not all of them have been studied. 
But she's definitely hesitating before putting these types of foods in her kids' lunches. The average civilian doesn't need food to stay preserved for years at a time. But it's showing up on our shelves thanks to the military, and we're buying it. This is what we're given. These shelves stable and the mold resistant, meticulously designed to simulate the fresh and the familiar. So if in a few years you happen to buy a shelf-stable pizza in your local supermarket, be prepared. That pepperoni might actually be Osmeroni. Invisible was produced this week by Tina Antolini with Avery Truffleman, Katie Mingle, Sam Greenspan, Kurt Kolstad, and me, Roman Mars. Tina Antolini hosts the podcast Gravy, which is a production of the Southern Foodways Alliance. You can check it out at southernfoodways.org slash gravy. You can find a link to Anastasia Marx de Salcedo's book, Combat Ready Kitchen, How the U.S. Military Shapes the Way You Eat, on our website. That's 99pi.org. 99% 99% Invisible is a project of KALW in San Francisco and produced out of the offices of ArcSign, an architecture and interiors firm in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. Support for 99% Invisible is provided by our donors, including the brand new 7,500 donors who helped us sail past the first Slack challenge. It earned Radiotopia an extra $25,000. Thank you so much. That worked so well, they challenged us again. If we get 10,000 more donors of any amount, Slack will give us another That has the potential to be a whole new show right there. So pledge today at Radiotopia.fm. $1 a month will do the job. $4 a month will get you the 99PI Challenge Coin. It doesn't matter how much you pledge. Just pledge today. Slack has been a great ally for us because Slack is an ally for all teams who are trying to accomplish great things. It facilitates team unity better than any solution I've ever encountered and funnels communication into easy-to-manage channels rather than a mishmash of emails, texts, and IMs. It's been great for us at Radiotopia as we've been planning and executing this fun drive in particular. It really is that great. Slack is free to use for as long as you want with as many users as you want, but they have paid plans with additional features with more powerful functionality. Anyone who visits slack.com slash 99 will get $100 in credits they could use whenever they decide to upgrade to any paid plan. But again, Slack is free to use if you just want to try it out. Seriously, it makes work and projects and all kinds of things you do better. Go to slack.com slash 99. Support also comes from Blue Apron. You need to know how to cook. I never really learned, but Blue Apron is helping me out. Cooking at home means eating healthier and saving money instead of ordering expensive takeout again. If you're not sure where to start, Blue Apron has you covered. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers all the fresh ingredients that you need to create home-cooked meals. Just follow the easy step-by-step instructions. Discover and prepare dishes like jerk chicken with stewed collard greens and charred limes. That sounds awesome. Or bake Sicilian-style rigatoni with lacinato kale and ricotta salata. Ricotta salata, ricotta salata. You can make those right in your own kitchen. And right now, you can get your first two meals for free at blueapron.com slash 99pi. That's blueapron.com slash 99pi. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And finally, we are supported by MailChimp. The whole campaign, we've been relying on MailChimp to communicate with the tens of thousands of people in our Radiotopia and PRX mailing lists. We update people on the campaign. We share new challenges. It's easy to use and customize for any project or business. You should try them out for yourself at MailChimp.com and send better email today. 
And the next thing I want you to do is go to Radiotopia.fm and contribute any amount you want. If about 7,300 more people pledge, we get an extra $50,000 from Slack. If just 10% of our audience contributed $1 a month, we'd never need to raise money again. 10%, $1 a month. We could move mountains and start revolutions with $1 a month from just 10% of you. All the stories will sound better, all the voices will sound sweeter when you know you've played your part at Radiotopia.fm. Radiotopia. 